what kind of person like can't go to sleep and and needs to listen to the D three pod? <laughs> we are um, definitely the kind of people who could put you to sleep. I'd like to think that uh, you know over the last couple of years we've jazzed it up so that uh, you're not as likely to be put to sleep because we have to be cognizant of the fact that you know uh, I just read a stat that twenty two percent of all podcast listening is done in the car so. You know, we don't want to put you to sleep while you're driving. 99% of my podcast listening is uh, <laughs> is done in the car. I mean, the only time it, it isn't is when uh, you know, I accidentally still have my phone on the podcast app when I open it up in the house. I would say to each his own. We know some people listen at the gym or, or uh, while they're going for a jog or walking the dog or what have you. Yeah, for me, uh, podcasting or podcast listening is definitely part of my daily commute or doing the dishes or making dinner, or like mowing the lawn. I guess those are the other things where I would rather prefer to be plugged in and not have to listen to everything else going on around me. Yeah. Sorry, I should have had a take. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the twice-weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 250, the one with a milestone number. It's the podcast for October 14th of 2019. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. And I'm Keith McMillan, the former player and longtime writer for D3Football.com. We're here behind the mic for podcast number 250. Now magic on the mic. And for number 250, we have lined up a bunch of surprise guests and new features. And hey, I thought we had Dave McHugh working on this. His name is in the credits every week, right? What? Basketball season? Okay, fine. All right. No big fancy guests lined up for this. It is a uh, just a normal, great week of NCAA Division Three football. And we are glad to bring it to you. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, Keith, our two seconds of reminiscence for th- those who didn't listen to pod 200 or, you know, the last time we talked about this, it's not that long ago when this podcast started with a handheld recorder in a, uh, in a, a bus station outside uh, the USA Today headquarters when you were still working there and I wasn't. Hello and welcome to D3Football.com's weekly Around the Nation podcast. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And here we are. Yeah, why do you keep calling it a bus station? It was sort of just the front of the building. Was that the bus loop, technically? Well, I so what I, I as I recall, we were in trying to stay out of the wind. We were in the little bus shelter thing, so where the bus stop is, and there's the little plastic thing that you sit in to stay out of the wind. Gotcha. Okay, I I only re- I only remember sitting right out front, and I remember the podcast was ten minutes, so it was uh, it was a long time ago that we were able to keep it that short. And uh, I think it was experimental at that time. We didn't know if this uh, this um, medium had legs. And turns out, uh, especially with you know no overhead, not a whole lot of um, production cost, and the fact that you and I can do it from uh, separate states yeah. is uh, has turned out to work out really well for, uh, for D3 in this format. And then, of course, um, there's just so much every week to, to try to get to because there are 100-some-odd games. So... We'll do our best to uh, to make 250 as good as the previous 249. Yeah, I mean, you and I could sit down and try to write out like a, a column each 
uh, that uh, kind of summarizes our thoughts and our takes on each of the you know the games of the week or the important games of the week. And it would take us longer than it takes you and I to sit down, jot down some ideas. Uh, and then for, you know, for the post editing and production and uploading and all that, it's still much more efficient to do it this way. And I guess if you think about it, 250 is a, a uh, arbitrary number, just happens to be a round number. Sounds good. And I guess it is something of a milestone, but you know, we'll have time to reflect on the season at the end of the season. And maybe we'll have time to reflect on uh, on the number of years that that we've been doing this and how much fun it's been for all of us some other time. But we've had so many teams this week, this uh, this past Saturday, uh, ranked teams playing each other, teams putting up huge numbers, great defense, great finishes, that we should probably just jump right to it. We will. We'll jump right to it right after this. But this is the time in the podcast where we let you know that uh, this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It. You know, if you've listened to any of the uh, previous, I don't know, 15 or so of our uh, of our pods, Gotta Have It at GottaHaveItFanFoams.com. These are the guys with the 3D logo fan foam wall signs. I said this on the last podcast, and I probably will continue to say it for a while. If you're a Mary Harden Baylor fan, you can get one of these, and the NCAA can't take it away from you. Ah, that's very clever. Yeah, these are pretty nice. Um, they're full-size three-dimensional logos that you can hang on your wall you can nail them into the wall they're they're durable and uh, they're pretty fancy looking i'm looking straight ahead at a mount union one it's the the word raiders logo and then i'm looking at a johns hopkins one and it's a pretty detailed blue jay seal so uh there are five teams currently in d3 and there should be a bunch more jumping on board talk to your coach ad and uh, see if this isn't something you can't get people on board with because it's uh, it's of D3. They're supporting us, and we want to support them. We do. Uh, and they are, as uh, as Keith said, you know, just kind of this uh, really sharp-looking uh, object. It's uh, like multiple layers of foam stacked thick. It creates this 3D effect. It really pops off the wall here in my office. The one that's uh, attached to the wall here in my office is uh, a Warhawk logo, and it is like the, the Warhawk logo, the, the face of the Warhawk. Uh, there's a UMHB one here on my desk. Behind me, East Texas Baptist is uh, is sitting on a uh, sitting on an end table. These are all here. Also, of course, uh, you could go to gottahabitfanfoams.com if you're a fan of a Division I school. There's a handful of those as well. Say, you know, it's uh, get something in time for the Army-Navy game. I don't care which side of that game you're on. Be on one of those sides of that game, and you can get a, a fan foam for one of those teams and uh, as well. And you're going to find all of that at gottahabitfanfoams.com. Keith, an eagle-eyed fan on the message boards, d3boards.com. If you make it to the end of the podcast every week, you hear me talk about that uh, as a, a message board devoted to Division Three sports. And uh, Inkblot, who is a member of that board, pointed out that uh, they had seen in the championships handbook this year, which is like the guiding uh, Bible for everything that uh, runs the NCAA Division Three playoffs, that the wording around the first round of the playoffs had changed, and it was no longer... Teams in the same conference do not need to meet in the first round as long as geographic blah, 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 blah is preserved. Now it is teams from the same conference may not play each other in the first round of competition. And, and while you know there are only a handful of conferences that this ever has applied to, and really only two that it's ever been used on, in uh, at least in football land, 
Uh, this is something that is long overdue, and I'm super happy to see it. Yeah, and, and that's sort of where we start building the bracket every uh, every November, yeah. where we, we try to figure out what's going to happen to the, the West Coast teams, to the Texas teams, because there are only a handful of each. At one, you know, there's a, about a little more than a half dozen teams west of the Rockies. And then, uh, you know, about the same number, not quite two dozen in and around Texas. So um, as the teams make the playoffs, there will sometimes be four, sometimes five, sometimes three. And you try to figure out that matchup to limit the travel because the bracket, if you guys are new to this system, is cost conscious. They try to keep first round matchups within 500 miles of each other. 500 because that is the threshold for when the NCAA has to pick up the tab to fly a team. The big deal, though, is that, yeah, you're not going to have a a year where Whitworth or Pacific Lutheran does really well, and then they have to go play Linfield in the first round because the bracketing is is the the committee is forced to eliminate one of the teams that's going to have to fly in later rounds. So Northwest Conference, the SCIAC, and a lot of times the American Southwest – do get the short end of the stick. And if it uh, doesn't mean that won't happen, they may just end up playing each other still, but at least it won't be Harden Simmons at Mary Harden Baylor. And this season uh, may not be that game anyway, uh, because this season in, in all three of those areas is, is looking a little different than usual. Well, it is interesting. If you want to know more about like the nitty gritty of the playoffs, uh, look for the link on the front page of d3football.com right now about football playoffs. We'll also put a link to it in the uh, show notes. But to, yeah, to get now to where this has some real positive or you know interesting impact is that, yeah, we probably will not have two Northwest Conference teams in the playoffs this year, barring something unusual. And similarly, in the American Southwest Conference, unless somebody upsets Mary Harden Baylor and we're looking at a, a multiple way tie situation in the ASC, but the 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 SCIAC, right? The Southern uh, Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference has a very distinct possibility of getting two teams in the playoffs. And after a Saturday night's game between Chapman and Redlands, it is Chapman in the driver's seat with a uh, 21 to 18 win against Redlands in a SCIAC game. Yeah, well, the reason uh, Chapman is is in the driver's seat, of course. You mentioned that head-to-head game, but a couple weeks ago, Chapman beat Whitworth 37-30 and Redlands beat Linfield on the same day. So, so often over the years, the Northwest Conference and the Skyac teams, they play each other in non-conference games because it's the shortest flights they can find. And uh, those teams always have open dates because the conferences are similarly similarly sized. But now the Skyac, both the, the, the top two teams in that conference uh, have beaten the top two teams in the Northwest Conference. And so... If there's going to be a a um, a pool C team, an at large bid from out west, it's probably going to come from the Skyac. Right now, Chapman's still undefeated. Red Redlands with just the loss to Chapman, and both of those teams with wins over Linfield and Whitworth. One of those teams likely to get in as the Northwest Conference representative, which will give the team um, a win over a regionally ranked opponent. In theory, when we get into playoff criteria, all that is saying. You may have a two-bid Skyac for the first time since 2011 when Cal Lutheran and Redlands did it. Yeah, it has not happened very often. In fact, that is the only time that it has happened in the course of this playoff system that we've been under since 1999, and they did not have to play each other in the first round then. So very interesting. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Just to talk about the game a little bit itself, uh, Keith, also. You know, Chapman uh, in a situation where 
you know, they had beaten the better team or at least the more highly ranked team, but still kind of considered an underdog coming into this game. And uh, they came out with a lot of energy and looked really good in the first half. And then Redlands kind of chipped away at it. Yeah. And, and they actually got to a point uh, scoring a couple times in the third quarter, got to a point where it was 21 18. And then it was back and forth in the, in the fourth quarter. And it was, there were some interesting occurrences because Redlands would get the ball back. Uh, there, you know, Chapman had a deep drive into Redlands territory, fumbled the ball. Redlands gets the ball, moves it down the field. And then, uh, got into a situation where they they ran a uh, fake punt on on fourth down, and it was sort of just the you know most bizarre fake punt you you've ever seen because uh, the the deep back for uh, for Chapman actually came up and made the interception. The play was there, but you know you can't expect the punter to make a perfect throw or or to get rid of it quickly, and so the ball was a bit of a rainbow, and it was just enough time for the return man to come from his spot deep in the backfield because he's the only guy who can see the whole thing developing Mm -hmm. comes up steps in front of the guy over almost by the sideline at least out by the numbers to make the interception so that was a key play redland still gets the ball back after that and the whitworth defense i mean the chapman defense had to hold uh one more time and uh for for chapman certainly pretty satisfying that's a team that has um you know has won the conference uh just as recently as a couple of years ago they also did it uh, a few years ago in 2014. Um, so it's not it's not a, a program that is um, not used to having success, but I think in that conference, you know, Cal Lutheran was the big dog for a while. Redlands is always competitive. And uh, and for them to be uh, in the, not just upper hand in the Sky Act, but now upper hand in, in the West to where maybe they get a home playoff game yeah. uh, is really exciting for them, but they have to finish the job. Right. If everybody wins out, think about, say, Chapman hosting Linfield or Whitworth, whoever wins the Northwest Conference. And then Redlands going somewhere else. Redlands could go to Mary Harden Baylor, depending on how many Texas teams qualify, et cetera, et cetera. It is only just a little bit too soon to start uh, thinking about these things, but uh, it's not very far from now. We're six weeks in, five weeks of the regular season to go. The NCAA will put out its first regional rankings on November 6th, and those are the ones that actually determine uh, or are used on Selection Sunday to determine who the at-large teams are, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, go to the website and read the story about uh, the playoffs because you will get not only the details on how this uh, new, you know, fixing the bracket, for lack of a better term, uh, is uh, is going to work, but also just how the rest of the playoffs will go. That uh, was one big game that was out uh, on the in the West region on a Saturday. There were a couple of other big uh, games in the West region on Saturday as well. I was at one of them in which uh, fourth-ranked St. John's uh, shut out then sixth-ranked Bethel by the score of 19 to nothing. And Keith, just a, a game in which uh, I saw a completely different take on Jaron Rosti had I, that I had seen in the first week of the season. Jaron Rosti, for those of you who are not familiar, is the Bethel quarterback. Um, you know, we talked about him being a big guy. Uh, he didn't get out and run much, and he really just had trouble with you know running the offense. I guess you know when you when you get shut out and you had basically one good offensive series on the afternoon, and that was because the opponent fumbled the opening kickoff. It's really hard to say anything positive for what Bethel did on offense. Yeah, and Pat, we, we talked kind of briefly in a previous podcast about um, St. John's getting so much 
attention coming in because it has a great quarterback coming back. And, uh, you know, certainly they've been been pretty good offensively uh, ever since that 14-7 win at Stout in week one. They put up 33-56-61 and then 19 against Bethel on Saturday. Bethel was a top 10 ranked team coming in, and, th- and that game was 19-0. And you you pointed out the the Bethel offense struggling, and it's kind of a – it's always kind of been a weird offense because it's, it's not a, um, you know – wide open send guys down the field offense Bethel just doesn't really uh ever recruit those kind of guys and it's an interesting offense if you ever get a chance to to sit down and watch a Bethel game but it's but yeah you're not going to see them uh you know throw it for for 450 yards very often but I think you got to give some credit to the St. John's defense uh they've played really well throughout the season they held Bethel to 191 yards on on Saturday one of 12 on third down and then add another fourth down try so one of 13 on conversion attempts, just 93 yards passing, 98 rushing. You mentioned uh, Rosti, not really able to uh, to get anything done running the ball. He was 10 of 30. Sam Gibbis, uh, 14 for 51. So both those guys under four yards per carry, and really just a smothering defensive performance. So as much as we talk about the Jackson Erdman and, and Kai Barber and some of the other exciting guys on St. John's offense, it really is the defense that uh, that stood out on Saturday. Well, we're going to talk up to uh, one exciting guy on the offense. Anyway, someone we haven't named, and that's Robbie Alston. It's Robbie Alston, nine catches, 188 yards, and a pretty amazing touchdown catch as well on Saturday in a 19-0 win against Bethel. Uh, first of all, um, that was a, that was a pretty amazing catch about, on the touchdown over in the corner of the end zone. Take us through that. Uh, well, uh, we had double posts called on that side, and. I was running a post and then my guy just kind of ran away from me so I just kept it skinny and Jackson saw me, threw it out there and I was just thinking catch the ball, you know, I ain't got to stay on my feet, just just catch the ball in the end zone so it was nice, felt good. Here last year as a, you know, a member of the team with a bunch of guys in front of you, right, not getting a lot of playing time, what's it like to kind of now step into a spot where you're the guy making big catches like that? Well, um, last year, you know, I just, I was just able to be behind a lot of great athletes, you know, like Will Galash, Joey Eckhoff, those guys kind of took me out of the week. Even my, even my year before, having Evan Clark out here and, um, yeah, those guys, you know, they're really good athletes, so they taught me a lot and to be out here on the field and get a lot of passes thrown to me, it feels really good. All right, so obviously this is probably not the kind of day. As we're talking about, you know, rain, freezing rain, maybe a little bit of uh, ice pellets coming down yeah. for most of this game. Uh, what's it like playing football in this weather compared to where you come from? Yeah, being from California, we're not used to stuff like this, but um, I've been out here for three years now, two and a half. So, you know, I, I've been around for a little bit, and it's nothing different. You know, just got to go out there, pitch and catch, catch the football, look it in. So we got we to play through adversity, you know. Weather's going to switch up. We got to still catch some passes, so it's good. Big win today against a pretty big team, a big rival. When do you turn ahead and start thinking about St. Thomas then? Uh, right away. You know, we're going to watch film tomorrow, as early as tomorrow. Be prepared for those guys, you know, because we know they're going to bring everything they got and we're going to bring everything we got too. It's going to be a lot of fun in Allianz Stadium, so really looking forward to that. That is the Johnny Tommy game, which will be played in front of uh, 20,000 plus at Allianz Field in St. Paul coming up uh, this next Saturday. The other game, uh, Keith, out of the West region that uh, also featured two ranked teams was between number three, UW-Whitewater, and number 19, UW-Platteville. I think as we were chatting on Saturday, you were uh, paying some attention to that game, and I'm just kind of throwing this to you blindly, assuming that that was the case. It was. I, I did have, it was probably a case where I had the game on, and there were times where I was really watching it, and there were times it was just on, and you look up when uh, when the announcers' voices rise. Um, but 
to to be honest, it was um it was a pretty not back and forth um well a well played game the type of game you you sort of expect out of out of the WIAC even though Platteville tends to be pretty wide open they were tough defensively yeah uh, they there 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 wasn't a whole lot easy there for Whitewater but strangely Whitewater was moving the ball up and down the field uh, they were able to um, you know to establish the run with their three headed their three running backs now with uh, with with Jared Ware. Alex Pete and Ronnie Ponick. And to be honest, Ware was probably the most impressive of the bunch. He's the one who's got a little bit of open field shake to him. And, and Pete and Ponick sort of, they're, they're a little better at just plowing ahead. Um, and, and you can see how Whitewater, sometimes when you see a Whitewater score and you look at the box score and you're like, how's that the number three team in the country, right? They win in some games 20, 21 14. Uh, but they were in control uh, for a good portion of this one. There was a point where Platteville came back with a nice. Uh, touchdown drive. Colin shoots hits uh, one of his receivers in the front corner of the end zone, ties it at 14. But it never felt like Whitewater w- was was going to lose that game. Strangely enough, even though it was a, a 21-14 game for most of the second half. So personally, I I flipped uh, St. John's and Whitewater on my ballot this week after watching that game. I thought you know St. John's was just a little more impressive against against Bethel and, and you know playing a, another highly ranked team. A little more impressive than Whitewater was against Platteville, but certainly if, if you're a Whitewater backer, not a lot to complain about. They established the run, controlled the ball. Um, it, it was a kind of a weird, windy day out there at Perkins Stadium. Huge crowd, and 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 now they're in they're in really great shape in their in their conference because they've uh, they've they've put the the best challenger behind them, and uh, nobody else really is is week to week looking very consistent in the WIAC. Certainly. Teams look like the challenge, but uh, but but I think if you're you know you're a Whitewater backer, you have to be pretty impressed with uh, with where they are through half the season. At Stevens Point at River Falls, and then home to UW Lacrosse for uh, Whitewater in the three weeks upcoming. Yeah, the thing that jumped out at me in this box score was actually the very first line, and that's first downs. Twenty nine first downs, twenty of them on the ground. 513 yards of total offense to 237. And I did not tune into the game until uh, I was done with all the St. John's Bethel stuff. So uh, I tuned in and it was 14 to 14. So I got a completely different view of that game and a, and a very narrow one. So it's good to it, it's good to hear the other perspective of someone who watched more of the game. Before we go to the categories and before uh, Michael Myers tells us they're tiresome, we're going to do one more thing. And we're going to do a little buy and sell here. We're going to each buy on a team and then sell on a team and i'm going to start by buying on aurora aurora four and one uh, overall two and oh in the NAC, the uh, northern athletics collegiate conference and uh, with a 63 27 win over concordia chicago on saturday you know it's a, a type of team where you can let Lance Moyes, who's the, uh, the the star running back for Concordia Chicago, go off for 205 yards and two touchdowns and, frankly, not care because uh, Gavin Zimbelman, who's the Aurora starting quarterback, threw another six touchdowns, and I should have looked this up, but you know, it's, it's got to be somewhere in the uh, 35 touchdown range here through the, uh, through the first uh, five games this season has had a, a couple of sixes, maybe a seven. Anyway, really prolific on offense. Uh, Colton Jewell, who's a guy who uh, we talked about in the preseason, uh, six catches for 109 yards and three touchdowns. And, and you know, Keith, I don't know, and I guess I don't care how much of it is uh, is Don Beebe, and you know, and how much of it is 
you know, breathing some new life into pieces of a program that were already there or bringing a new offensive philosophy or whatever. What I'm buying on is that this is a, a conference that's very winnable and uh, Aurora looking like they're in very good position to do that right now. Interesting. Yeah, I think a, a bunch of it is probably uh, BB. You know, there are certainly times where you have a great quarterback or a great coach or a combination of both. And it, and it lifts the program. But when we talked to him several podcasts ago, Pat, you're the man who always knows which number we had somebody on previously. He was real diligent about talking about the offseason training habits and sort of just getting his players, um, I guess, physical nature, for lack of a better way to put it, up. And, and so they'd be, you know, they'd just be better prepared for for the grind of a season. And I imagine as a guy who ran a training center, he's uh, he's done a nice job with that. And then you can see what he's done with uh, with Aurora offensively. So good choice. Uh, Don Beebe is podcast number 235. Uh, Keith, who are you buying on? I'm going to buy Union. And uh, this will play right to type. So you can uh, you can go ahead and stereotype me if you want. But, uh, you know, when I'm taking a look at what to do with uh, with certain teams in the poll, uh, you know, it, it stood out to me that um, – that Brockport has been on a five-game winning streak. They've looked really impressive since they lost 33-7 to Hobart back in week one. And I sort of draw these chains sometimes when we don't have uh, head-to-head results. And uh, we'll, most of you remember that Hobart beat Union. I mean, Union beat Hobart last week 23-7. So if Union dominated Hobart, Hobart dominated Brockport. The, the impressiveness of Brockport led me to take a closer look at Union. And, and really what I saw is a team that uh, – has played great defensively uh, for for the better part of five games. They have three games where they've allowed only seven. And uh, and even uh, this past week, they beat Rochester 47-19. Rochester scores 10 quick points in the in the uh, first quarter. And then uh, basically, uh, aside from a, from a late touchdown and a, uh, a two-point, you know, a point after the block taken back for two, they didn't score any more points the rest of the game. So, um, you know, whenever you have a, a team – that can, uh, you know, your defense can keep you in it while you sometimes you struggle offensively for portions of games and, and the defense will let you hang around for a while before you put it together. I think uh, I think you're in good shape. And so as you look at uh, at the teams in upstate New York, instead of some of the familiar names that we've uh, that we've grown accustomed to the past few seasons, it's really uh, Ithaca, Cortland, both looking really good. Uh, this point in the season and that Cortica jug game still several weeks off, but shape, shaping up to be a really good one. And then I think, uh, you know, Union RPI, the Dutchman shoot rivalry will be a uh, will be another great one to watch as long as Union is, is playing the way they play defensively. So that's my buy. All right. For my sell, I'm going to sell on Bridgewater and uh, apologies to all of our friends at Bridgewater, I guess I don't, we haven't talked about Bridgewater really in the national picture in quite some time. But right now they're five and zero, and they're three and zero in the ODAC, headed into games uh, against Ferrum this week, and then at WNL, at Emory and Henry, and versus Randolph Macon. And I see that that uh, four game stretch, and especially uh, the latter three, being a, a, a challenge for them. That I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to come out of it. Uh, you know, this is a, a obviously a program that has had some ups and downs ever since its uh, trip to the Stag Bowl all the way back in uh, 2001. You know, Bridgewater comes into this came into this season on a roll. They won their last four last year, so they finished six and four. And the ODAC is winnable. Um, but I don't think I, you know, I just don't foresee them 
finishing the season the way they've started it. It, it just uh, seems like if I'm at the peak of the market on Bridgewater, this is the time to sell or maybe a week from now. And then, uh, you know, and then the, the value is going to go down. And that's why I would sell on Bridgewater right now. Interesting. I've, I've uh, moved Bridgewater into the, the fringe of the top 25 the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, sometimes on weeks when a bunch of teams lose, you, you, you know, you keep a group of teams around the bottom of your poll and say, I'm going to watch them the next couple of weeks and maybe mm-hmm. move them in. And uh, Bridgewater has been pretty impressive every week. Uh, I was I was thinking about um, about Stevenson one week, and then I realized Bridgewater had beaten them pretty handily and so led me down that path. Yeah. I, I think they're they're looking pretty good. But you're right. The ODAC's always wacky, and there's there are plenty of big games left in that conference. My sell is going to be Wesley. And, um, you know, for podcast listeners, you know that I was a few weeks ago impressed with the fact that they keep figuring out how to win these close games. Um, this week, much, much less impressive defensively against Salisbury. And obviously Salisbury is a very good team this season. Uh, they've crept into my top 10. Now, there's certainly been um, ranked uh, for, for the better part of the season, at least since the the win against UW Oshkosh. And this for Salisbury beating Wesley is another um, – you know, nice, nice feather in their caps. Although seagulls probably don't want to put feathers in whatever caps that they happen to be wearing. Wesley may end up going nine and one because the rest of their their schedule is the the back end of the NJAC, which there's some some you know fairly tough games in there. Uh, Montclair State, Christopher Newport among them. But um, I could see Wesley going nine and one and being a first or second round exit. And and right now, what concerns me about them besides the run defense, which nobody knows West Salisbury better than Wesley, right? They, mm-hmm. They're rivals. They play each other every year. Wesley's dominated them. So it's not like there's their scheme surprises here. And the way Salisbury put together drives late in that game, when uh, every time Wesley came back, Salisbury at one point um, goes ahead by 10, 31, 21, Wesley comes back and scores. And then Salisbury 11 play 88 yard drive, pretty much keeping the ball on the ground the whole time. Wesley comes back and scores a, a kick, the field goal. So it's 38, 31 at that point. And then Salisbury nine plays 80 yards uh, and they go up 45, 31 and that winning the game 45, 38. So firstly, first Wesley giving up 45 points is concerning. But second of all, at that point in the game, you know, Salisbury is going to buckle down, do, do what they do and, uh, and run the ball. Wesley was just unable to stop it. And I, I feel like, Right now, although uh, the wide receiver Ruhan Peel is really, really nice player, and he's probably a um, a guy we'll hear from, you know, the next few weeks, and and may you know make some huge plays. I think right now Wesley doesn't have the the offensive talent uh, that that we've grown accustomed to them to seeing them have. I'm going to sell on them for right now. They're still a ranked team for me because you can't punish a team. Uh, for for losing, even losing, even giving up forty five, can't punish them too much for for losing to another team that's that's high in the rankings. And I think Wesley, maybe they'll stumble in in one of these next five weeks. They certainly have the mark of a team that's going to have an off week or is going to play with fire in a close game and uh, and get and get burned. But uh, but for right now, you know they're still a ranked team for me. I just I just um, I'd be concerned if I was a Wesley fan. Game ball. Game ball. Game ball. It's time for game balls, and my game Game ball this week is going to go to Grove City quarterback Josh East. For the second consecutive week, East scored on a quarterback sneak on the final play of the game to win the game. Last week, it happened in a more conventional way uh, when Grove City defeated Carnegie Mellon in overtime. But folks, this is an even better one, and it's going to take some uh, a minute here to kind of spin out how this game 
went down. Grove City has the ball uh, with goal to go and under 30 seconds left in the game on Saturday at Westminster, Pennsylvania. Wesley Schools, it's probably the guy you've heard of. He's the star running back for Grove City. He's already run for 48 yards on this drive, but he's stuffed after two yards at the six-yard line, bringing up third down. Pass to the goal line is broken up. Fourth down pass is intercepted and then brought out of the end zone to the two-yard line, and Westminster uh, touches off the celebration. This is homecoming for Westminster. It's a, it's a pretty big win for them. Uh, except, by the way, still eight seconds remaining, and the large number of players celebrating on the field and taking off helmets draws an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So this pushes Westminster back to the one-yard line. So, Keith, let me ask you here what you do. You're Westminster. It's eight seconds left. You're on your own one up 41 to 37 and everybody's out of timeouts in a spot where you can't really kneel down in the field of play. Yeah, this is where, you know, you wish the fullback hasn't gone uh, out of the game because you you get you want to give the ball to a shorthanded guy who will plow ahead for you for two yards. And uh, some some teams still have that formation where they'll line up a guy really tight to the quarterback, quick snap it and give it to him. I think, you know, you, you either you have a shorthanded back you give it to and try to get yourself three, four yards, uh, some breathing room, or you let the quarterback sneak it uh, because all you need to do is run a play and, and kill the eight seconds. I would say this, too. You don't even have to run a play. You could take a knee in the end zone. You're up by four, right? True, and I probably should have thought of that. I thought I thought you were going to say run around in the in the end zone for eight seconds, which I see, which sounds a little dangerous. But, yeah, yeah you're right. I guess if you take the safety – and then you kick probably would have been the smart thing to do. So if I didn't think of it on the spot, not that I'm uh, a, a wonderful football mind by any means or a, a paid coach, but uh, but I, I guess you could see how someone else uh, didn't think of it as well. Although on a whole entire staff of coaches, somebody probably should have brought that up. Well, in either way, neither of these things happens because uh, Westminster fumbles the snap. Uh, they can't. Uh, they they're trying to push the ball off from the shadow of the goalpost, right? And they fumble the snap. Grove City recovers inside the one yard line with four seconds left, and on the very next play, because it's the only play left. Grove City has another chance with four seconds left in this game. And so, yeah. a scooter. I, I'm I'm a big I'm, fat liar. I'm speechless. That was not the defining play of the game. This one right here is, and on the goal line, you'd have to think this is going to Wesley Schools. Already four touchdowns in the game. The snap's coming back, back. And he's just going to try to dive. Under center, and it's a sneak. sneak. Josh East, can Josh East do it two games in a row? He does. Last week against CMU. Grove City went into overtime. The final play of the game was a Josh East quarterback sneak to win the game. And what's the end of this Westminster game? A Josh East quarterback sneak. No time on the clock. A shocker. The Wolverines have stunned the Titans. Final score, 43-41. to And even this part just occurred to me while we were in the middle of recording this. I don't know why the officials didn't make Grove City line up for the extra point because a blocked extra point returned by Westminster could have tied the game. Obviously, you're Grove City. You don't even attempt to attempt the extra point. You put someone up under center and you take a knee. But my goodness, uh, that's that's something that still has to happen. And I remember... uh, a St. John's Augsburg game a few years ago, the one that Augsburg won on the last second in some crazy fashion, that they hauled the teams back out of the locker room a number of minutes later to take that knee and officially end the game. Yeah, I remember that as well. Pat, I we may not get a crazier ending than that all season. And, and of course, we talk about crazy endings every week on the podcast, usually under the Off the Beaten Path highlight 
or somewhere along the way. But that, man, to celebrate thinking you have the game won and, and it brings back a, a memory of a, a Bethel, maybe Bethel Concordia Moorhead yeah. uh, game yeah. where, where they where some some celebration, some premature celebration cost them dearly. Uh, I can't imagine the emotions uh, for, for Westminster right now to have to basically have the game won with eight seconds left. And the, the only way you can lose the game essentially is, is what happened. We're still in the old game balls portion of the pod and mine goes to the offensive line at Randolph-Macon, where the big boys at the old alma mater paved the way for 302 rushing yards in a 35-14 homecoming day win over Shenandoah to go to 4-1? and one. Nope, because UW-Whitewater ran for 376 yards in a 21-14 win over a ranked opponent, UW-Platteville. But wait, Loris ran for 405 yards. In Illinois College, 407. And Salisbury also ran for 400-plus against a ranked opponent. But it took the Seagulls 62 carries to get to 417 rushing yards. And John Carroll rushed for 473 in a mere 40 carries. That's nearly 12 yards per carry. And look, Capitals not very good. I don't even mention the score in this game. They scored four touchdowns in five games this season. They've given up at least 37 points in all of them. But if you rush for 500 yards or almost 500 yards against a college football team, it's time for us to shout out the offensive linemen on the podcast for once. Game ball for the Blue Streaks. And, Pat, if the budget exists for a few more imaginary game balls, give them to every other offensive line I mentioned, too. And you get an imaginary game ball. And you get an imaginary game ball. We will rise. We will rise. We will rise. My team on the rise in the D3Football.com top 25 is Salisbury. Salisbury of the Seagulls, who uh, beat Wesley, as aforementioned, moved past the Wolverines and up two spots to number 12 in the overall tally this week. I'm going to be interested to see what happens from here because Wesley was looking like it was kind of hitting the ceiling where its ranking was, and now Salisbury will probably get similar looks as they become the proverbial team to beat in the New Jersey Athletic Conference. I'm also interested to see how the Seagulls go forward in reference to what Coach Shermwood said a couple of weeks ago in pod number 247, and that, you know, there's kind of a next level for Salisbury to break through based on where they have tapped out in the postseason previously. And to add to what he was saying to, to you know, a ceiling where option-based teams have tapped out in the postseason over the course of the past 20 years. Now, of course, uh, the Seagulls can't get caught napping against someone like Rowan next week, but they're definitely in the driver's seat in the end, Jack. That's a solid and pretty logical team on the rise in the poll. Pat, I chose between Case Western Reserve and Chapman, and I'll go with the Panthers because it allows us to highlight something that some voters value and some may not. Chapman has beaten both Redlands and Whitworth, and I think in the absence of head-to-head results or other data, you keep Chapman above whoever those teams beat. So even though I had Chapman 24th last week on my ballot and Linfield 19th and the Wildcats beat Puget Sound, a 3-2 and two team, 77-22, I think you have to move Chapman ahead of Linfield by virtue of their common result against Redlands. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. My team that will take a fall in the top 25 this week is Bethel. I had a couple of people at St. John's ask me before the game where I thought Bethel might land afterwards. And I, and I had to be clear and say, well, it kind of depends on what game it is. A game in which Bethel gets shut out and really is not particularly in the game is much different than one where it's, you know, like 1913 and Bethel has the ball with three minutes left and a chance to score. Bethel was uh, probably saved from falling further by the presence of St. Thomas in the number 11 spot. But I'm pretty sure that if Bethel had played St. John's competitively, they might not have moved in the poll at all. I dropped Bethel from 7 to 12, even though they lost in a somewhat competitive manner 
to the number four team in the poll. The distribution on Bethel, by the way, uh, on voters was everywhere from rank number six to number 24. So uh, people saw a lot of different things on, on or they interpreted that result several different ways. I also moved St. Thomas 17 to 15, probably thinking similarly similarly to you that you don't want the Royals and Tommy's too far apart with Tommy Johnny next week and St. Thomas having looked pretty dominant recently, their loss aside. In any case, my faller is Hendricks, who had crept into my top 25 last week. Barry booted them back out by a score of 27-9 and took Texas Lutheran, which lost to Hendricks but beat Harden-Simmons, out of the poll with it. I mentioned this on Twitter, and people who come to this podcast looking for information about how the top 25 works, you've just heard from two different voters. And just keep in mind there are 23 other voters who have their own ways about uh, thinking about the poll as well. It's time for the Off the Beaten Path highlight, and mine takes us to Alfred, New York, where my highlight involves the other Alfred, New York team, Alfred State. You know, across the street from the uh, actual beaten path, which is where Alfred University? Alfred University. Yeah, I had to think about that. That's why I don't say university or college if I can avoid it. Anyway, Alfred State would probably rather not be involved in this highlight altogether because this highlight is about them giving up two touchdowns and a two-point conversion in the final 100 seconds of the game as Anna Maria came back to win 21-20. to Tanner Kingsley, the quarterback for Anna Maria, finished the afternoon 12-31 for and wasn't particularly effective on the final drive, just 3-9, for but the completions were for 24-20 and then finally five yards to Hayden Braga for the touchdown with 16 seconds left. For Anna Maria, it's the first win of the season, and they haven't had more than one win in any season since 2013. They've never had more than two wins, and I would play the highlights, but I feel like we've had enough announcerless D3 highlights for the uh, for the podcast for a little while. Don't you love when they stick the mic out the window though, and they get the crowd noise? No, need more cowbell. All right. Uh, there were some great choices this week, Pat, for off the beaten highlights. Yours was one: Colby Middlebury, McMurray, Westminster of Missouri. Uh, Geneva Bethany and Center Sewanee, but I went with FDU Florham for a second straight week. Lebanon Valley took a 24-0 lead with a little more than five minutes left in the second quarter, and it was 31-10 with five left in the third. And then came Anthony Caserta and the Devils, closing the third with an 84-yard touchdown pass. And these comebacks don't happen with great offense alone. The FDU defense stiffened, forced a 45-yard field goal attempt that Leb Val missed. So the score remains 31-17 before FDU embarks on a 12-play drive on which it converted four third downs, and it's a 31-24 game. Defense gets the ball back in three and a half minutes. Caserta completes five of seven passes, and the Devils score to make a 31-30 and eschew the chance to kick to tie. If you remember last week, frequent pod listener, FDU gave up a go-ahead touchdown with 20 seconds left and still scored a touchdown as time ran out to beat Albright. Heroics two weeks in a row, of course, right? Nope. Lebanon Valley, after letting a 21-point lead nearly slip away, makes the only play it has to make on the two-point conversion attempt, and the Dutchman survive to win 31-30. And this one was doubly off the beaten path since the box score and recap didn't even get uploaded to d3football.com, so allow me to pat myself on the back because I had to go dig through the box score on the team website to find out how it happened. Yeah, only schools with uploaded box scores, by the way, people are eligible for the weekly honor roll, the team of the week, and our postseason honor rolls, the d3football.com, all region teams. If you don't have a box score uploaded on Saturday, it's often you won't even get mentioned in a daily recap. So what I'm trying to say, long story short, upload your box scores. I'm not sure a lot of SIDs listen to this podcast, so I unfortunately am telling coaches 
to tell SIDs to do something, and that is not something I really like to do, but uh, there you go. That is what I'm saying. It's free publicity. Surprise! My most surprising result from week six, Keith, comes from the Midwest Conference, where Beloit, you know, they weren't even able to play a full 60 minutes last week. They did play 60 minutes this week, and they also won. The Buccaneers dressed 38 players and managed just five first downs all day, but they scored on a breakaway run in the first quarter and trailed at just 7-6 to six in the third. And here's what happened next. Wallace back to pass. He's now going to throw over the middle, and it's picked off by Watchell. Watchell with the ball at the 30, the 20. He has a lane, the 10-5 touchdown! Pick six, Caleb Watchell! Many thanks to the Beloit Athletics webstream for telling me how to pronounce Caleb Watchell because he picked off the pass over the middle and returned to 24 yards. I think it's 34 yards for the Beloit touchdown, and the Bucks then held on to win 13-7. to Craig Thomas, Ryan Tips, uh, Smed Indy, any other Wabash folks who may listen to the podcast, <laughs> feel free to hit the 15-second skip-ahead button a couple times because my most surprising result is Worcester beating Wabash for the first time since 2004 and for only the third time in 24 tries, despite being outgained by 130 yards. All it took was three interceptions and four fourth down stops. Wabash only scored 10 points, but didn't point, didn't punt once in the 24-10 loss. Now Worcester and Wabash are two of four, three and two teams in the North Coast Athletic Conference, trailing four and one Wittenberg, Denison and Ohio Wesleyan. Four teams have three and one conference marks behind the four and oh Tigers who have yet to face three of those teams. Looks like we might have to brush up on our three-way tiebreaker scenarios in the North Coast Athletic Conference once again. For my stat of the week, Bridgewater trailed for the first time all season. They were down 7-6 early on to Hampton and Sydney, but the Eagles scored 45 unanswered points to win. That's not the stat I'm here to talk about, though. It's the fact that they held Hampton Sydney's starting quarterback to 93 passing yards. And that is Hampton Sydney's number one quarterback, Clay Vick, who was held that low. He completed 22 of 34 passes. Uh, for those of you who are going to do the math at home, that means he averages 2.7 yards per attempt. Meanwhile, Bridgewater remains undefeated, but uh, this number, 93 passing yards, is not something we're accustomed to seeing from a Hampton Sydney quarterback. For my side of the week, it's time time for some action. Albright still can't catch a break, losing 42-40 to Wilkes, which improved to 5-0 as the Lions dropped to 0-5, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. This game contained one of the most ridiculous two-minute sequences in uh, in D3 history, or that might be exaggerating a little bit, but it's pretty nuts. Wilkes is trailing early in the game, uh, or late in the first half, and uh, drive score with 213 before the half and make it 21 all. And Chris Holbrook takes his second kickoff return of the touchdown uh, of the game, takes one back for a touchdown, 93 yards to put Albright up 28-21. And then Jose Tabora is driving Wilkes back down the field. Senior cornerback Kamal Stewart steps in front returns the ball to the 17-yard line, and Albright scores a couple plays later. So suddenly they're up 34-21 and still haven't hit halftime yet. Remember, that that first Wilkes touchdown was at 2-13 uh, left. So 19 seconds left in the half. Albright's going to kick, go into the half feeling good, except they kick it deep to Wilkes. Wilkes, 85 yards for the touchdown. So in the final 2-13, you had a touchdown, a kickoff return for a touchdown, an interception return almost for a touchdown, and then another kickoff return by the other team for a touchdown. And all those points were crucial in Wilkes' 42-40 win. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. 
Now is the time in podcast where we go to Twitter. You can send us questions for us to answer on the podcast. You can do that on uh, typically Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. But any time that we put the call out is the time to do it. And uh, we've got a couple that we're going to talk about here over the course of the next couple minutes. One of them is from Kotharn B0403. It's spelled just like it sounds. Uh, yo, question for the podcast. Part A, what first year coach has impressed you so far? Part B, what tenured coach, five years with job, has been disappointing so far? You know, um, I'm not uh, too comfortable in like going through, um, you know, teams that are struggling deciding when it's the coach's responsibility that that's an issue. Uh, but I'm definitely interested in talking about, you know, first year coaches that might have, uh, you know, done some good things here over the early part of the season. I mean, Keith, I feel like all I have to do is say the name Don Beebe for this part. And Don Beebe! Certainly, if, if you want to, Don I mean, Beebe. we talked about Aurora. Don Beebe caught him from behind. Earlier in the podcast, they are pretty impressive. And uh, if you really, really want to hear more Don Beebe, 235? 235, pod 235. Right. Well done. Good memory. Scroll back. Uh, my Im- impressive uh, first-year coach is... Um, Takes us back, Pat. You and I were old enough to remember when Western Maryland was a South Region power and, and used to battle Catholic and Trinity and Lycoming and, and Bridgewater f- uh, to advance in the playoffs out of this this uh, South Region. Western Maryland, for those new folks or folks who uh, perhaps are playing now and weren't born when the school was called Western Maryland, that's McDaniel. And even if that doesn't ring a bell, it's because they haven't been awful competitive in the Centennial Conference for several years. But Coach DeMarcus White has Green Terror uh, at 3-2. and two. And even though uh, they're a 28-14 loser to Juniata uh, the last time out, which was uh, on October 5th, they, didn't, they were off this week, as was most of the Centennial Conference. 3-2 and two for, a, uh, for a, a, a team that uh, hasn't had more than a three-win season uh, since 2010 is a pretty impressive start. They have uh, Dickinson and um, pretty much a murderer's row in, uh, in in the rest of the the season. So they, they may only get, uh, you know, to four four or five wins this season because they still have to play Muhlenberg, Susquehanna, and Johns Hopkins. But uh, I think that's been pretty impressive. And it's really a school that should be competitive when you think about uh, the area that it's in. Uh, you know, you can recruit from Baltimore. You can recruit from, from D.C. and Virginia. So these are some um, pretty football-rich areas. You can go to – uh, you know, PG in Montgomery County. And I know to some of you that might not mean a lot, but uh, you know, you've seen Stevenson be instantly competitive in, in Maryland. Um, Salisbury's great Maryland football program. Frostburg state had, had brought its program level up. Wesley gets a lot of kids from, from down in this area. And, and McDaniel has had, had been great and had just been forgotten. So uh, I'm nice to see them back and we'll see if it's legit or if they take, you know, a couple of 55, seven losses on the chin, later on in the season when they face the Mules and the Blue Jays and the Riverhawks. And I think generally we can talk about some teams that are uh, disappointing, whether we don't have to put it on the coaching, but I I think when, when the season started, we thought the NJAC is potentially a four-way race um, with Salisbury, Wesley, Montclair state, Christopher Newport, all being uh, teams that, that won uh, several games last season, Montclair State, eight-win team, Christopher Newport, eight-win team last season. Montclair State, two and three right now uh, with fewer points scored than allowed. And Christopher Newport at one and four just got on the board this past week with their first victory. So 
that conference, even though if you look at the standings, a lot of one and one teams in NJAC play, Wesley and Salisbury, only two teams in the NJAC with winning records halfway through the season. And that's a bit surprising because I thought we, I think we thought that was going to be a deeper league. Indeed. And it'll be interesting to see how that continues to evolve. And, you know, of course, let alone who are the members of the NJAC in football long term, because I'm not sure that that's particularly stable. Let's move on to our other question. It's from Brian Moore at BD Moore 26 asking, was 90 necessary for John Carroll? Big question of the uh, of the day. And I know you didn't want to mention the score when you talked about that game earlier. Uh, it, John Carroll scored 90. And there wasn't another score. And was it necessary is always a great question when the score gets up that high. No, I mean, it's never necessary. But usually when you when you dig into the fourth quarter of games like that and John Carroll scored uh, five touchdowns, uh, actually four touchdowns and a field goal in the fourth quarter. So it was 59-0 at the end of the third. Here's the argument I would make when people would criticize Mount Union um, or people would even praise Mount Union for kicking field goals on second down. Uh, and making it 62-0 instead of 67-0 or 65, whatever the 66, I guess, would be the correct math there, right? Four-point difference between a touchdown and a field goal. It's my understanding that there would be no math. The thing about that is, does it really feel all that much different if John Carroll holds it to 76-0, Like, which one of these numbers is suddenly acceptable to, to beat a team by 52-0, uh, 45, I guess 45 seems normal. I don't, I don't know. I mean, 90 is a lot. 77-22 is a lot for, uh, for, for Linfield. Uh, teams have hit the 80s a couple times this season. I mean, it does happen, and it's certainly not a good day for the, for the uh, team on the other side of it. But if you look at these touchdowns, Pat, everything in the second half, John Carroll, 28-0 at the half. They start off the third quarter with a 68-yard touchdown pass, and everything from there on out is a touchdown run or there was one interception return. I don't know what you want John Carroll to do. Yeah, I mean, other than taking a knee when you get the ball, (laughs) because they only got the ball, I believe, they started basically every drive in the second half in capital territory, aside from like taking a knee on first, second, third, and fourth down. And it's not like they were at a home game and they could empty out 160 guys into the game. It was the 75 guys on the bus. And you know we've had these conversations uh, in the past. uh, So necessary no avoidable i guess but avoidable only in the way of making a mockery of the game and i'm not sure that that's a great uh way to go either up to the final word and then we'll uh, let you have the rest of your monday back for my final word i just want to thank everybody for listening to 250 podcasts if anybody other than me and keith have listened to all 250 podcasts i'd be really impressed It'd be very difficult to do so now because we've had a couple server changes in the course of the 12 years, and I don't think we have all 250 archived, but you can listen to a whole bunch of them. Uh, I'll probably throw the link to pod number one in the show notes, and uh, you guys can laugh at, first off, I don't know, I think we sound about 12 years younger, and we have crappy microphones, and the wind is blowing in, and yes, we're in a bus station. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember doing, uh, we did one in, in the airport in Chicago, the off airport too, not O'Hare, Midway. Yeah, Midway, yeah. Um, we've we've done, where else have we done podcasts? Did we ever record while we were driving on the Pennsylvania Turnpike? We took some trips over the years to, to Mount Union. Baggage claim, um, baggage claim at Dulles, I believe. Yeah, and you know, there was a time when you and I had to be next to each other or recording our own um, feeds 
so we could merge them together. It's a lot easier now that we can do this over Ringer, but we've used Ustream, we've used um, recording our own, each each recording our own sound, then uploading it to an FTP server, which you would take <laughs> and then merge in Audacity, if I remember the process correctly, Yeah. even though you were always the one who did it. So if any of you out there are, are audiophiles or techno geeks, uh, you may appreciate where we've come over the years. And yeah, I mean, 250 is a lot and it's impressive and it's certainly a lot of hours, Pat. We'll never get back, but it's been a pretty rewarding experience because we get to highlight a level of football that you know you and I both went to D3 schools and then we've pretty much traveled the country, coast to coast, mm-hmm. um, getting to know folks. And there, I, to this day, feel like there are more stories than we can possibly tell, more, um, more people deserving of highlights than um you know than we can ever possibly highlight and look it's not it's not a perfect division it's got its its quirks and its flaws like everyone else but i mean it's been it's been amazing uh, the things we've seen and the things we've done over 250 podcasts um and i'm glad we've been able to bring some other folks in and a lot of other voices now that we can have coaches on and we can have guest hosts and, uh, and people popping in from time to time to give their predictions on the, the Thursday, Friday podcast. I don't know why I call it Thursday because it comes out on Friday, but we, we spent a lot of Thursdays doing it. It's been great. And uh, I'm surprised we make it to 250. Do you think we'll make it to 500? Well, it won't take us 12 years to get to 500 or 13 years. That's for sure. At this rate, we're doing about 40 to 50 of them a year. So I would say this, Keith, I really enjoy doing this. I would actually be really disappointed if at some point in my life uh, I didn't have a podcast because this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Even if for whatever reason somebody else were to do d3football.com, I would still want to do a Division Three football podcast. Well, that was a little bit of a uh, bury the lead there. No, I just mean that's just like a hypothetical. Oh, okay, all right. But I mean, if someone wants to buy the website, you know, make me an offer. We'll talk. As much as I enjoy it. Uh, it would be interesting to have uh, Sunday nights back and Thursday nights back and to listen to some other experts talk about D3 football. Uh, but yeah. hey, who else besides us is going to randomly pull out a Rocky Pantello, right? Yeah. This is the thing. This is what we did a lot of radio broadcasting together. And I was a, a couple years ago uh, chaperoning the 10th graders uh, on a trip to the art museum. And someone and and my son Robert who have you've heard has been on more podcasts than uh than Ryan Tips for example said at one point that a a classmate of his says wow your dad has a really good voice i bet he has a podcast and i'm like yeah. that is what this generation associates that with right it's not i've never had like a radio dj voice or anything like that but I, i've always been comfortable behind the mic and feel like this works and it's fun and yeah that is what it is now it's like you have a podcast if you do something like this Pat, that may not even be hip uh the day that my kids tell me that i'm interesting and i should start a youtube channel is the day i'll feel like they, they think i'm actually cool and with it keith mcmillan youtuber i can see that and this was d3football.com around the nation podcast number 250 Season 13, Episode 12, released on October 14th of 2019. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout this week. If you like the podcast, rate it. You know how this goes. That'll help other football fans find it, and you can leave comments for us on the blog page. 
You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Highlights in this podcast, uh, courtesy of uh, Westminster Athletics and the uh, PAC uh, Broadcast Network, as well as uh, Boyd College. Thank you for that. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. And thanks to our guests, Ravi Alston and Sports Information Director Ryan Klinkner for their time and their assistance on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.